Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Straw Hut Media. Recorder is recording. Oh, and of course now you freeze. Your fro. Oh, poor connection. Why did that now happen the back. second that I put in headphones? My not Bluetooth ones. Um, is Bluetooth sucking up bandwidth? I don't know. That's a maybe? word, right? Bandwidth is a word, isn't it? Oh, bandwidth <laughs> is a very serious word <laughs> that I know. Not, I know. I learned a little to nothing about, other than we seem to never have enough of it. <laughs> we've got too much carbon dioxide, and we've got not enough bandwidth. Our bands are too in thin. This world, our bands are way <laughs> the, too thin. The, the tiniest band. <laughs> so oh, I heard this interesting. Podcast. Well, hello, Mike Amico. Hey, KHG. <laughs> You're a vision in um, pumpkin orange? Is that you pumpkin? Know, I, I don't know what to call it. I when I first bought this one, I kind of stopped wearing it for a while because it felt too too bright, and I wanted more of a burnt orange. But it's really it's, come back it's, into the. It's lightly baked. It's not as toasted as I was like. Exactly. It's a light bake. <laughs> yeah. Light broil. In yeah. at 450, but for only like 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Where I'm really, I wanted I something it. a little darker, but it's so thin that when I'm in Santa Clarita and it's 114 degrees, yeah. this is what we're wearing. Um, well, if you're in Santa Clarita, then this must be another episode of So I Heard This Interesting Podcast. <laughs> must the be. podcast about podcasts. It must be. You're always in Santa Clarita. Um, and again, you're in Santa Clarita because of your mom's recent broken wrist and ankle. Yes. And we thought it'd be fun for Kelsey and I to share some of our personal broken bone stories. Yeah. Um, Kelsey, you want to lead yours? the way? Yeah, yours is like much more intense. Mine's much um, more intense, and then, I'm not going to tell the whole thing, but uh, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> mine's mine's about as light as a broken bone story can get. Um, first of all, let's set the record straight. It was a buckle fracture, but okay. good luck telling an eighth grader that a buckle fracture is not going to hurt that much. <laughs> it, it it do hurt. It do very much. Uh, it was Halloween morning. I was on student council, um, and we were doing like a, of making us. <laughs> of course we were making us i was a treasurer i actually found like an old i was in sacramento going through like junk like my mom had saved i needed to go through and i found like the flyers i made for my treasury <laughs> for, campaign for when, for when you included <laughs> when you were in charge of the school's budget <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> buy sell buy sell um so it was halloween morning and we were um making a spooky house or like a haunted house for like the little kids at school like the kindergartners that doesn't so sound like you box at all of, I know. <laughs> so i had a box of like blankets and other shit like decorations that i needed to bring and i was in um my halloween costume which was a cheerleader costume which does not sound very kelsey kelsey hallerman as we know her now no, it no, was no. like an old like vintagey cheerleader costume like probably skirt down to my mid knees and like a sweater <laughs> Okay. Attractive for sure. Um, <laughs> this this one went to an all girls school. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I felt very comfortable in a skirt that passed my knees. Um, so I'm carrying this big box. I'm leaving the house, going through the garage, and in my garage there's like three little steps, three steps from the door to the garage floor, and I tripped down going down the steps holding this big box because i couldn't see my feet and i fell forward and my wrist my arm landed on a razor scooter and oh. right on the bar oh. like right at the top of my wrist it was my right hand and i'm right-handed so mom rushes me to the doctor and of course it's halloween so doctors everyone's in costumes like my doctor was like dressed as an army I don't know. Someone in the army. And he's just going to give you morphine and see how you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, we got to amputate. I don't know how we got here, but we got to amputate. Um, so that was it. Then I had a cast for like maybe six weeks. It was like during basketball season, which was kind of shitty, but yeah. 
you know, at the end of the day, not the worst break ever, um, but a break nonetheless. And also, an experience with a cast. Anytime something serious happens while you're in a Halloween costume, it just it makes the humiliation of it so much worse. <laughs> exactly. Like waiting in the doctor's office and like the nurses, like everyone's in costumes. And I'm just like... This is the worst. And I'm like <laughs> cradling my arm. I mean, it was terrible. It was terrible. I, I but, once had a, a party in college where the cops got called on us and I'm like in some ridiculous costume and I have to go out and talk to the police in this. I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> some stupid like zombie costume about something serious yeah, yeah. and just feel so unbelievably foolish. But of course, that's how it happened. Um. Okay, Mike Amico's broken arm story. Mike Amico's broken arm story. Story. Um, this was when I was living in Paris, actually, and I flew to Berlin. It was my first time in Berlin, and I had some friends from LA who were there, and I was going to stay with them at their Airbnb, and they were out watching the World Cup. Germany was playing um, Brazil. And mm-hmm. I was so excited to finally be in Berlin for the first time that I was like, you know what? I'm going to go get a beer and I'm just going to walk around my neighborhood a little bit. And I drink my beer and I walk around and I'm headed back towards the Airbnb and I see this alley. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to make this big U-turn. If I just go through this alley, through this park, that's yeah. my street right there. And so I start just walking down the alley Mm. and I don't Mm. see the two guys who follow me in there. Um, Oh, my God, Mike. (laughs) And basically, they just out of nowhere, just this guy asked me for a cigarette. I said, I don't smoke. And then he just took a swing at my face and I didn't get hit. I managed to jump backwards, but uh, I fell on the ground and the other guy kicked me. And I guess I put my arm out instinctively. Um, Yeah. But I managed to kick one dude off of me, jump up onto my feet while they were both trying to grab me. And like, I just remember their arms and legs everywhere. Just this mad flailing of arms as they were like trying to get a hold of me. Um, Yeah. But I managed to like break free and just took off sprinting. And they didn't chase me. And I got back to the Airbnb and I took the, the key and I put it in the lock and I couldn't turn it. Like, I just couldn't oh my will God. my hand to turn. You are totally. And I was like, okay. So I use my left hand to get in. And then I see this bump on my arm, uh, just like a few inches above my wrist. And I was like, I don't, I have so much adrenaline. I can't feel anything. I just have a lot of pressure. Yeah. I just feel really intense yeah. pressure. And so yeah. my friends finally come home from the game they're at. And they're like, we all like hug. Like, oh my God, it's so good to see you. And I was like, we have to go to the hospital because I think my arm might be broken. And oh my God, Mike. And it was broken. Um, and it was broken. <laughs> and I got a temporary cast in Berlin. And then I had surgery back in Paris. And I have a giant piece of metal in my arm. It's a great souvenir from France. And I'm fine. That is so fucking insane, Mike, that yeah. that happened to you. I know. But uh, you know, the, one of the, like, I'm not going to say one of the worst parts. One thing I still haven't figured out how to do is when people start telling broken bone stories because it just happens occasionally like at a party and I will be like, it'll, it'll get to me. Like, have you broken a bone? I'm like, yeah, I broke my arm once. Like, how did it happen? And I'm like, you know, it happened when I was living in France and always they're, they're like, oh, did you like fall off a bike or something? I can't figure out how to not tell the whole story because if I start telling the story, totally. it's a complete conversation takeover. And sometimes I don't totally. bring the mood down so much. Like we're all laughing sure. about stupid stories. And like when I tell mine, suddenly we're not having fun anymore. Like I got jumped in Berlin. Yeah. Like, well, I'm going to kind of want to know the details of that. Everybody wants needs to know the whole story and I can't figure out how to tell it quickly. I can't. And it's just like I haven't figured out how to handle that without lying because I don't like lying. So I don't know. We're still working on that. The other thing that gets frustrating is when I do tell the story, almost universally, everyone's first question is, oh, were you drunk? Oh, almost. That's so strange. I never, I never. And I think it's like part of our sort of a victim blaming culture where people, they want it to be my fault somehow, because if it's completely random, that's way scarier because you can't avoid completely random. Where they can tell themselves, like, oh, well, I just need to not get drunk in a city that I don't know. Like, if they can make it my fault, then it's something avoidable and it's less scary. Completely. 
So, Completely. Those are the... Which is just fucked up and yeah. it doesn't matter if you were or you weren't yeah um, like somehow i was asking for it it's like yeah asking me if i was wearing a short skirt to a frat party <laughs> well how short was the skirt mike amigo that you were wearing down the alley <laughs> down, down to my knees it was a cheerleading costume <laughs> <laughs> it was halloween <laughs> okay broken bone, stories. broken bone stories are done let's get to a podcast potting um it is your so week i am bringing you Decoder Ring, which is a podcast I talked about. Uh, I was going to say, I've, that sounds familiar to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I talked about Decoder Ring in our episode, Cheers to the Nuns, which was my Pride episode back in July. Yes. So uh, that episode was Friend of Dorothy about why gay men love Judy Garland so much. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. So I promised I'd cover this show in more detail in the future. And here we are in the future. In the future. <laughs> so let's get started with that official Description. In each episode, host Willa Paskin takes a cultural question, object, or habit, examines its history, and tries to figure out what it means and why it matters. Great. I'm on board so far. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Um, It's a pretty familiar investigative journalism format. Willa's narrating with interviews from experts and Mm -hmm. witnesses in like 30 to 60 minute episodes. I would call this very intense active listening. So much information is being delivered in such a compact amount of time. You really got to pay attention or you will be totally lost. Gotcha. Okay. Um, What I love about this show is it's, you know, it's not reinventing the wheel in any way. There are a lot of shows dealing with culture this way. That wheel is just rolling and rolling. Um, Mm -hmm. But they cover a huge range of topics, but they're all kind of given equal weight. Gotcha. And you kind of understand that of as I go through the two episodes I'm going to cover. And at the end, I'll give you a few other ones to kind of flesh that out a little bit for you. Oh, my God. You're a real professional this way. I love this. <laughs> I love the setup you've given us. I, you know, there's, I'm getting all flustered because you called me a professional. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the first episode I'm covering is called The Metrosexual. Ooh. You remember this term? I do. I do. It's funny. I feel like I haven't heard it um, in a while. Yes. Like the last 10 or 15 years. It came and went pretty quickly. Middle school, it was like definitely a thing. Yes. Okay. Tell me about what you remember about what it meant to be metrosexual. It it was like uh, typically like a heterosexual male that dressed... I don't know if feminine is the right word, but like really cared a lot about their appearance. Maybe wore like more tapered pants, like very Europe, like Europeans were very metrosexual. It's like, cause they cared and maybe wore more fitted clothes. That was my impression of what it meant to be metrosexual in eighth grade. I think that's exactly right. You said you remember this from junior high. What year were you in junior high? Uh, eighth grade would have been 2003. So like 2001 to 2003. Peak of the term is 2003. Ooh, oh my God. I'm really just falling right into your hands <laughs> yes, here. Yes, you are. So this trend, it did start a little bit earlier. Um, and they actually play a clip from Sex and the City and Carrie Bradshaw, Carrie Bradshaw describing a new kind of man who she called the gay straight man. So mm, yeah, Carrie, yeah, I think I, I can hear her saying it. Yeah, we're well, going to hear it right now again. Carrie says, The gay straight man was a new strain of heterosexual male spawned in Manhattan as a result of overexposure to fashion, exotic cuisine, musical theater, and antique furniture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. So what this term really lacked at that time was an identifying like term that brought that together. They they had these prototypical names for it. So she used the gay straight man. There was the pomosexual, which was a portmanteau of postmodern sexuality, which obviously that was not mm. going to catch on. Um, no. Or the flaming the way, straight man. Quick aside, I remember what episode this was in when she talks oh. about the gay straight man. Charlotte is, uh, there's a guy that she's like, suddenly really chummy like they're friendly and she can't get a read on if he's gay or straight so they're like he's a straight gay man or he's a gay straight man we don't know because he's like into musical theater and like loves to cook and is really sensitive but they end up having sex so he is straight but then he's also afraid of a mouse in their kitchen so he's a gay straight man that's what we were led to, led to that was our takeaway from that sex in the city's not <laughs> very flawed in a lot of ways 
We love it, but it's flawed. Yeah, they actually play that part of the clip as well, where they're like, is he a straight gay man or is he a gay straight man? Yeah, so, yep. You're remembering very accurately. Um, mm-hmm. The last sort of prototypical... I am your, your target demographic for this episode. <laughs> yes, it is. The last prototypical name they had was the flaming straight man, which gotcha. is also clearly not going to take because it's kind of offensive. Yeah. And no one, no straight man is going to want to embrace that terminology for himself. Totally. Totally. So this episode is exploring kind of where this word and trend came from, why it became so ubiquitous and then burned out so quickly. Yeah. I'm very curious to know where it went. Yeah. So <laughs> let's get you some history. Okay. So we're starting in the 80s where men pretty much wore suits to work every day and jeans and sweatshirts on every non-work day. And okay. there was a kind of homophobia in the air, especially in the U.S., that we probably wouldn't mm-hmm. recognize so much today, um, where like to be interested in fashion or trends or in your look in general was gay taboo. Totally. The women in men's lives were meant to shop for them because shopping was frivolous and beneath them. Mm-hmm. But marketers <laughs> understood that this was a huge untapped market. And by yeah. the 90s, the ball is starting to roll, especially in the UK, where attitudes about masculinity are a little bit less restrictive. And there's sort of mm-hmm. like magazines and things are starting to talk about this new kind of man. Gotcha. So by 1994, the word metrosexual, metro meaning metropolitan area, mm-hmm. so metropolitan mm-hmm. man, um, the word metrosexual. The metropolitan man. <laughs> he's like the $6 million man, but gayer. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So, 1994, the word metrosexual appears in print for the first time in the UK in an article titled, Why the Future is Metrosexual. Mm -hmm. And it said, the metrosexual man is a single young man with a high disposable income living and working in the city because that's where all the best shops are and is perhaps the most uh, promising consumer market of the decade. In the 80s, he was only to be found inside fashion magazines and gay bars. In the 90s, he's everywhere and he's going shopping. (laughs) What a sales pitch. I love it. Right. But and I love the idea that men live in big cities because of access to the Because the they shops. want those best shops. That, that's it. <laughs> Nothing else about a city is appealing. Only the shops. <laughs> Only the shops because they are going shopping. Um, <laughs> Willa, our host, explains that trend spotting, which is like not exactly an official job, but a way they describe certain cultural influencers kind of trend spotting mm-hmm. is all about timing. And this term just showed up a little bit too soon and it didn't quite catch on. Um, Yeah. And to understand that a little bit more, we have to look at the context of the 90s. So it was a time of incredibly strained relations between the gay and straight world, particularly in Mm -hmm. the U.S. So AIDS deaths peaked in 1995. Bill Clinton passed the Defense of Marriage Act. Matthew Shepard was tortured and beaten to death in Wyoming. The gay and straight world, they're just not getting along right now. Totally. Um, so people were not in a place to like readily accept aspects of gay culture into the straight world. Right. Right. It turned out what the metrosexual movement really needed was an international celebrity spokesperson. That sounds about right. Who do they get? Who do they get? Any guesses? Um, I don't know why the first person that came to mind is David Beckham. David Beckham. Stop it. Oh you are God. killing this. I can't believe how good oh you are God. at this. You're, you're, you should have that done this. So wild. You should have hosted this podcast, and I'd be talking about oh you. Oh my god, this so, is so wild. David Beckham, the British footballer who might be more famous to some of you as a husband of Posh Spice, um, <laughs> he seemed to proudly reject all the limitations that the performance of masculinity puts on men, and mm-hmm. was very happy to be an icon to gay men, straight men, women. He just really likes to be admired, and. He had a way of embracing his feminine side without ever bringing his heterosexuality into question. And this right. is exactly what the metrosexual man was striving for. Right. Totally. So he didn't invent this type of man. He's what they call a trend spreader more than a trendsetter. Gotcha. They talked about that, Madonna. That they talked about Madonna in the same way. Is that she gotcha. didn't necessarily set trends. She identified trends that would work for her brand. And then she uh-huh. made them extremely popular. Right. Um, so David Mac- David Beckham made this new kind of man approachable and most importantly, saleable. Mm-hmm. Now, why can he do that? Because he's famous and the rules don't apply to famous people in the same way. 
And he's also just so dang handsome. So dang handsome. Have you heard him talk, though? Have you listened to like an interview? It's not great. It's so it really takes you aback, but in kind of like an adorable way. But it definitely like what you want is not what you get. What you expect is not what you get. But you kind of like it in the end. Like you want the voice of Thor. Yes. And instead you're just getting a regular dude. Yeah. And we should all learn to be okay with that. (laughs) And we should all be okay with that for sure. Continue. So the effect that David Beckham has on the straight world was that men who wanted to be Metro were no longer just imitating gay men. They were imitating this universally admired straight guy. Yeah. So he essentially gave straight men permission to care about how they look. Well, we appreciate you for that, David Beckham. I keep thinking about women in the 80s and like, God, you had to just, they just had to look at these schlubs all the time who were so afraid to show any interest in how they look that they must have just all looked. I've, we've seen men in the 80s that did look horrible. Yeah. I mean, the women's clothes in the 80s were also pretty wild. They're also pretty wild. Agreed. But it's it's fascinating that these like trend spreaders, their job is like giving permission to people to do certain things like Madonna would be like giving women permission to like enjoy sex and talk about enjoyment of sex. Yeah. You know? And it's like until someone in the public sphere gives people that permission just by being and by, by being the one to openly talk about it, it, it's just interesting that that's what like allows other people to feel they can do the same. Yeah. I think that's actually a much better example than she gave what she talked about. Uh, Willa talked about voguing. And how mm. that is something Madonna made very famous, but that people today, a lot of them still don't even know that that came from the Brooklyn drag scene. And that, Oh, yeah. No, I had no idea. Yeah. So if you watch the documentary Paris is Burning, it's all about mm. the underground Brooklyn drag community and these pageants that they had amongst themselves. And mm-hmm. that's where they invented voguing. And Madonna just took wow. that and she made it popular because... She had a voice and queer people didn't in the 80s. So, uh, which is fucked a little bit, but okay. Also, since I was talking about gushing about documentaries last time, Paris is Burning is incredible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Put it on the list. <laughs> okay. So, by 2002, all our pieces are in place. The trend has been observed, the spokesperson is in place, and the products are ready to be sold. These would include Axe Body Spray, Diesel Jeans, and Grey Goose <laughs> Vodka. <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> check, check, and check. Yeah. The diesel jeans. I don't know why that one really makes me laugh because that's I know. it. It's Same. like the tight, slim jeans. The With diesel always, jeans. Like, the stupid, like, patterned pockets. I feel like they had a lot of those. They're so trashy to me, but whatever. Um, by 2003, we get Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which is kind of the ultimate culmination of all these forces. And it's mm-hmm. actually looked at as something that helped bridge the divide between the gay and straight world because mm-hmm. it's a show where you have a bunch of gay men interacting with a very like uh, stereotypically heterosexual man and the gay men are not being asked to dilute their gayness in any way. Totally. They're being encouraged to be their flamboyant selves if that's who they want to be. and Totally. And to teach others some of their skills, habits, whatever. And it just showed the world that these interactions can happen and no one has to be afraid. These gay men are not trying to turn this straight man gay. Totally. And it it just helps sort of bridge this divide that had happened in the 90s that really started healing in the the early aughts. Um, Yeah. 
the downfall of the metrosexual term begins pretty quickly right after that because marketers start over sanitizing it. Mm. Like part of what makes the metrosexual movement is that it's cool is that it's pushing at the edges of acceptable masculine behavior. Yeah. But as these marketing agencies start trying to spread this to bigger and bigger markets, they get overly concerned with reassuring their customer base that it's not gay. Gotcha. So they essentially, they take the edge off of something edgy. Gotcha. And by 2005, it's basically gone. That's fascinating. Did they talk about, I feel like the, like a, um, a heterosexual man's interest in fashion, clothing, looking good, pulling their appearance together. I feel like that's just more acceptable. Why, like widely acceptable. Most men, straight men, yeah, and otherwise, absolutely. they just do care more now, and they're not. There's no like it's very on a, it's on a subcategory men. of men. Exactly. It just exactly it just feels like more. I, I mean, again, very specific to the city that I'm living in. Yeah, right, my right, right. Metropolitan city, but it's like a man wearing a skinny jean is nothing more than like just a, a man in a skinny jean. It's not like oh, look at that metro guy over there wearing. I know those our our subset now is, jeans. is a guy wearing cargo shorts. Where we're like, what the hell is that guy doing? Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Uh, so that's sort of there's been a real cultural flip there. Um, For sure, I'd say the the most lasting impact historically is that this was sort of seen as a precursor to the social media phenomenon. Social media is all about how do you sell your own desirability? Yeah. And David Beckham really opened the door for men to sell their own desirability. I like that you said he just wanted, he did want to be adored. Yeah. And I, or admired, and I am here to admire. Yes. And adore, I suppose. Same. <laughs> Same. Um, I think like there's a Liz Lemon quote that sums up all of this pretty well. She, isn't there always? Isn't there always? I've always got a Liz, Liz Lemon quote like, cocked and ready um she's talking about bisexual men but she says bisexual men aren't real it's just something that was invented in the 90s to sell hair product <laughs> and that's essentially what happened with the metrosexual is it's just something that it's a marketing term yeah it's the metrosexual Completely. was sort of observed in the wild but the trend was created and destroyed by marketers trying to sell dudes more stuff completely because to be metro like to be metrosexual was to be a straight man. That is just inter like you're not that part of your identity is not questioned by anyone when you buy certain when you buy these products because right. if people assign metrosexual to you, inherent to that is being straight, exactly. which is a very safe place for people to be. Exactly. That's fast. This is very fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Episode two. Well, it's the second episode that I'm doing. Yes. <laughs> not the second episode of Dakota Ring. Um, is a little more intense, but I found just mind-blowingly fascinating. Yeah. And it's called The Karen. Oh, wow. This would be a... This is... This is needed right now. This is, this is needed, very needed and very, very, very topical. So this is going to... Episode's going to be about how to re-arrive at the name and the concept, which is almost exactly what we just did with the metrosexual. The name and the concept. Okay, this is uh, no idea where the name came from. Understand the concept. Yes. Don't necessarily know the origins, though. This is a, I'm excited. Well, I chose this one because I want to show the range of topics covered on the show. Um, yeah. But I would actually, you kind of led me there. How would you define a Karen? Oh, God. I mean, I feel like I, it's funny. I don't know how to define it without giving examples. Of like that's that's where you see it used today is like on social media is like right. seeing a woman do something and calling her a Karen. What's one of those like things? Let's the, go with that. I, I don't know why the first one that like comes to mind, which is not a, a big one, is like the woman that like gets ha, is talking to like a customer service agent and is like, get, bring me the manager. I need to talk to the manager. That's almost always that, part of the Karen description. Exactly. They, they even talk about the the may I speak to your manager haircut. <laughs> exactly exactly and that's again not nearly as weighty as i'm sure a lot of the uh, as many many other descriptions but i feel like that's one of my first uh the first places that i remember seeing it well i'm going to give you willa's 
definition now. So she says, the Karen is a particularly pernicious white woman who is the police woman of all human behavior, the type who belittles Mm. service employees and demands to speak to the manager, who personally Mm. mandates people's response to the coronavirus, and who most of all surveils people of colors every move, notoriously calling the cops on black people who are having barbecues, selling water, or bird watching in Central Park. Exactly. I was going to say that woman... The we'll woman that called the cops on. Yeah, we'll get there. Don't you oh, worry. OK, we'll save it. I'll save so, it. So the first thing that Willa wants us to know about the Karen is that the name is new. The behavior is not. Gotcha. So let's get some history about the roles of white women in systematic oppression. OK, okay. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. So during slavery, slaves would refer to coded their coded name for white women was Miss Anne. Mm. So this referred to the wives, mothers, sisters, and daughters of slave owners who would patrol the property to make sure everyone was doing the work they were supposed to do. And if they weren't, you go get the men to right. punish people, right? Gotcha. The name Miss Anne stayed in usage well after emancipation um, and even appeared in this Little Richard song in 1952. Oh. In the song, he was actually referring to the white woman that took him in as a kid. Um, because this was just a coded word for white people, not necessarily any particular behavior. Gotcha. Now, he could only sing a song as a black man. He could only sing a song about a white woman because at the time, white people didn't know that Miss Anne was code for white people. Yeah. They didn't know that was gotcha. for code. They, I mean, Charlie was the name for, for white men, but Miss Anne was for white women. Gotcha. Um, so from here, we're going to jump all the way to 1992 with the birth of a pop song that is still very popular in karaoke bars today. Any guesses? Oh, God, I was so on with the last one. Uh, Karaoke song, I'm guessing Karen is in it. We're not actually to Karen yet. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a hint. It's about very large derrieres. Oh, my God. Um, Sir Mixalot. <laughs> Baby's got back. Oh, the two women at the beginning? Yeah, you remember what's the first line of that song? Oh, my God. Becky. 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 Be- I mean, I, I can do the whole thing, <laughs> but we don't have that kind of time. Um, okay, I've heard, Be- I, I have heard Becky. Becky was like in a Beyonce song. Oh, yeah. So we're going to get there, too, in a second. <clears throat> okay. Okay. So Becky has been a stand-in for all kinds of white women over the years and could probably have a podcast all of its own. Um, like, for, sure. for instance, I learned that this initially was an ethnic Jewish name because Rebecca is in the Old Testament. Oh. And it's had this journey to becoming this stereotypical quintessential Valley girl, white girl name by the 90s. It's mm. that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why it's in Baby Got Back. But right. how how is Becky different than our modern conception of the Karen? She's part of the journey, but we're not to the Karen yet. So Becky is more clueless than anything. And she's kind of a joke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she's clueless to the point that she doesn't understand that her presence in black spaces can create danger for black men. Right. So Beyonce's song, Sorry, from Lemonade has a lyric, Becky with the good hair. Yeah. This is more about how some white women can vilify black culture publicly, but they're also sort of fetishized and are attracted to black men. Mm, And mm -hmm. this kind of exoticizing of black people by white people is another thing that goes all the way back to slavery. Oh, for sure. For sure. So by 2018, Becky is kind of starting to resemble our modern version of the Karen. Okay. Did you ever hear uh, of barbecue Becky? I don't think I have. I had not either, so don't worry. Okay. Um, she became famous after a 911 recording became public where this white woman spent several hours harassing a black family having a barbecue at a public park because they were using charcoal. And oh she called God. the police multiple times um, and just sort of was out to ruin their day. <laughs> oh, um, my God. And it, they play you the 911 call and it's freaking obnoxious. I'm um, sure. But you can see kind of how we're starting to get a little bit closer to totally. the description that Willow lays out in the beginning. So Barbecue Becky became an internet meme sensation, along with Permit Patty, which referred to a real white woman who called the police on an eight-year-old girl selling water um, without a permit. And 
other names. <laughs> yeah. It's holy shit. It's terrible. Um, as if like her kids had never had a lemonade stand. Oh my God. Like, that's so on. pathetic. Yeah. No. Um, infuriating. Other, other names that sort of cropped up around this time were corner store, Carolyn, golf cart, Gail and road rage, Randy. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah. And these are clever and they're definitely funny because that's always at the base of every mean, but they're also, yeah. Very not funny because they are calling attention to the ways in which white women and very occasionally men use the authority of the state to, quote, protect themselves and their preferences from people of color. And they've been doing this since the beginning of this country. I don't like what you're doing. I will call the police because that is my privilege to do so. For sure. For sure. Okay, so we've got Miss Anne. We've got Becky. Let's get to like how we start calling these white women Karens. Yeah. So firstly, names in general carry a lot of cultural baggage. We Mm -hmm. subconsciously bring our entire life experience to every name that we hear. We implicitly make assumptions about race, class, ethnicity, personality, intelligence. Mm -hmm. It's just something that's always happening for us on the sort of back end of our brains. Completely. Karen is an old fashioned name. These days, mm-hmm. Karen's an old-fashioned name. Yeah. Old-fashioned old might be called traditional, might be called conservative. Right. Right. We see how you tie all these things together. Yeah. Um, Karen has also just come up in pop culture over the years in a lot of ways. So think Karen from Will and Grace. Yeah. She's <laughs> massively over-entitled. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Hilarious, but yes. But yeah. And that's part of the comedy is how entitled she is. Right? Yeah. But now mm-hmm. we have an association that Karen is like this person that has been tucked away yes. in our brains that we can't not block out because we're not even aware we're making that connection. Yeah. Uh, Amanda Seyfried's character in Mean Girls, also named Karen. Mm-hmm. So it's just sort of been popping up for a while. Um, yeah. The mother of all pop culture Karen references, though, is this Reddit user whose username was Fuck You Karen. That was all about him shitting on his <laughs> ex-wife, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, these days it seems like all cultural roads lead back to Reddit and Twitter. Reddit? Completely. It's for two platforms I am not on, which is why I never know yeah. what's going on. Totally. Um, anyway, the fuck you Karen Reddit thread really took off and spawned all these subreddits that kind of fleshed out a version of the Karen that we kind of know today. It's like getting us one step closer is what Willa called Reddit Karen. Mm-hmm. She kind of solidified the idea that she's a suburban, affluent white woman, narcissistically ensconced in her own privilege. Yes. Of all the many subreddits, they all had this thing in common. For sure. For sure. So how did Karen leave the Reddit sphere? Mm-hmm. The catalyst for this turned out to be COVID-19. So. Wow. It was that recent? Yeah. The Karen is very much a 2020 term as we're using it now. It's very much yes. a 2020 thing. Was it 2019? Like the memes and things about Karen. Was it? Was it the name Karen that was like the friend that you don't want around? Was so that Dane a Karen? Cook did a bit about how everyone's got a friend okay. named Karen that they hate. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. That's that. I I do remember from that was probably like within the past four or five years. I don't know. I remember. I mean, Dane Cook was bigger in college. The yeah. 2011, 12, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, he had a big bit about how everyone's got a friend in the group that they just hate and it's usually Karen. So that's just yes, like another okay. piece of like the, pop culture in our brains. Karen. Karen sucks. Linking. Yes, Karen sucks. Okay. Yeah. So COVID-19 expanded the Karen off of Reddit into mainstream culture because suddenly white fe- white people feel threatened by Karens as well. Because the Karens are either refusing to wear their masks in public spaces or they're wow. calling the cops on anyone they think isn't following the proper precautions. Right. This is that part of the definition from the beginning that's like, uh, who they dictate who how the coronavirus is to be treated. Yes, totally. They're like self, they're policing others around them. Exactly. So now we've got Karen in the public eye. All that's left is the racism. Right. We just got to get Karen more racist. So yes. The racist aspect of Karen came with a now very infamous video of Amy Cooper in Central Park in New York telling a black man she was going to call the police on him, saying he was threatening her life because he asked her to put her dog on a leash. Right. Wow. Okay. So I don't think I realized that was the first major like racial 
connection or component i I wouldn't say it's it's the first one but it's the one that stamps it on mainstream public idea of what we think of as the karen now right so this showcases how white women are really the greatest threat to black men in the u.s yeah because they're most likely to call the police and we now have many many examples of how when police are called on black people they might be killed right right and wow. our 2020 Karen is born. Oh my God, what a fucked up journey we just went on. Yeah. So here Willa talks about experiencing what she calls the not all a white women twinge because mm-hmm. she is herself a white woman and she doesn't love mm-hmm. being demographically lumped in with Karens. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to quote her. It's a long quote, so I hope that I can get through without stumbling, but she said it so well. She said, this feeling of being lumped in, of being misjudged, of being not seen as an individual, being equated to and held accountable for people you don't know who may or may not be anything like you besides some brute demographic details is an experience so many Americans have so much more frequently for so many less legitimate reasons and to such more damaging and consequential effect than a straight woman like me. A straight white woman like me. I almost got there. Yes. Ah. But, oh my God! So, so accurate. Everything uh, that whole quote was perfect. Right. Um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I understand that like knee jerk reaction. Um. In the same way that I think like when the Me Too movement was really starting, that like most of my like straight white male friends, they they have there's that sense of like, no, but not all, not all. Cause not right. me. I've never done that. I'm safe. You know, I'm not a predator to women. And it's like, you can't f- fighting uh, that being lumped in is part of the problem because you don't need to prove like, you don't need to say you are not, your behavior just needs to be not that. Yeah. And also it's just, it's a moment to understand that that, that's a normal feeling to have that I don't want to be lumped in with people who are doing things that I'm not doing, but you just have to take that feeling and understand that that is what's happening to everyone who is not straight and white in our country all the time. Exactly. And understand why they're so mad, you know, understand why they get angry that you are stereotyping that you see, you know, a black man trying to get into his own house and you call the police and he gets arrested, which actually happened when Obama was president. A black professor going into his house gets arrested because someone thinks he's breaking in, you know? Right. And I mean, I could... The list of examples goes on and on. There's no point to even go on and on about it. We all know that we have a problem in this country with white people treating black people like they're criminals because they're black. A thousand percent. And to be clear, my example was not to just focus on like white people's problem with this, because like you said, that pales in comparison to this exact same behavior happening, but at a much bigger, broader, more dangerous level for people of color. Yeah. You want to recognize the injustice that you feel by being lumped in that way and then use that as a motivation for empathy for people who are constantly getting. Exactly stereotyped together as one group and being held accountable for everyone's behavior all the time. Right. That self-reflection is sort of what this episode is tracing the history of. Not really the word or the concept. It's tracing the history of literature saying Miss Anne and white people not knowing what it meant to now where white people in 2020, we know what the Karen is and we finally recognize her for the danger that she is to black people in America. And it's crazy that it it took Karen's being a danger to white people for white people to wake up to the danger that it's always posed to black people. You know, with COVID. Right away, I just finished the um, series Nice White Parents, mm-hmm. which has been advertised all over the place on my podcast. It's um it's sort of a production of This American Life and Serial, but it is its own thing. Um, gotcha. And, and they it's all about the public school system and how essentially well-intentioned white parents are always controlling the school system. Mm -hmm. But they're never going to advocate for the the needs of the minority groups in those public schools unless it's also affecting them. Totally. And once it becomes a thing where it's going to affect them, now they're going to get really gung-ho about fighting for equality. Right. And that's just the way it goes. And I mean, I shouldn't say that's just the way it goes as if there's nothing to be done about it. That's just the history as we have lived it. Yes, for sure. Um, I feel like I have to point out that 
part of Donald Trump's stump speech these days is pledging that if he's reelected, mm-hmm. he won't allow low income housing to be built in the suburbs. And that is such blatantly obvious oh. coded language. Don't worry, Karen. I won't let black people invade your country. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So I've vote, never heard that. Vote early, everyone. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, let me tell you. Plus one to that. Yeah. <laughs> Other episodes <laughs> that I've listened to that were really good um, to give you a, a greater idea of the scope of topics they're covering. Yeah. Is the mystery of the mullet. Oh. <laughs> Have you ever thought about why the mullet is called the mullet? No. Or you can I, listen to this I, and find I, out. Yeah. There you go. That's wild. I want to know where that haircut came from. And I'm also interested to know why it's called that. I'll give you a hint. It came from hockey players in Canada. Um, <laughs> the gender reveal party. Oh, I have a lot of thoughts on that. I'd be curious to hear where that came from, too. God, this is a really interesting podcast. Oh, yeah. That's why it's on our show. <laughs> <laughs> I walked uh, right into that one. <laughs> <laughs> Got Bart Simpson mania about why the Simpsons were such a huge success right away. There's Video Mate Mail, which is about the earliest form of online dating when you mailed in a video of yourself. I've seen a lot of great clips on YouTube Rather. of like 80s videos that men have made. This is a podcast that's literally about like how did that industry come to be and was it successful or not? Yeah. And how has it sort of stamped itself in our consciousness in such a way that totally. it has? Um, the last one I've done so far is Sad Jennifer Aniston. Oh. Which is just, why, why can't we get enough of her story? I don't know. I don't know. But that happened a long ass time ago. And yet it is, there is still like she got remarried and then that ended. And there's, yeah, that it's weirdly she's like cemented in our consciousness as Sad Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. She didn't ask for that. She doesn't want that. Yeah. So that's Dakota Ring. Oh, my God. I love that. That was fascinating. Good. I was hanging on your every word. Glad. (laughs) Let's take a break. Take a break. I got a little extra. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And we're back. I gave you the thumbs up, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, you did. You did. You did indeed. Um, I've got the teeniest, babiest little extra for you. Um, mostly, uh, I, okay, so I was listening to Conan O'Brien's pod, um, and Maya Rudolph was the guest oh, on it. That's a couple of I'm, like titans right there. I'm obsessed with her. So obsessed with her. Um, and I I just want people should go listen to this podcast, mostly because one, she comes off like as like the most endearing human being ever. Like she's got the most gentle way of speaking. Um, that is so contrary to so many of her characters that are like oh, yeah. the most are wild. Um but it was so funny. Conan was saying that her work on Big Mouth as the hormone monstrous oh, yeah, is yeah, like yeah. His like the best voice acting he's ever heard. Like it's his favorite character ever. And they were both saying how she like has a way of taking certain words and just like really like luxuriating in the sound, like stretching it out. And the word that they both like he kept getting her to say it was bubble bath. Do you remember from season one? It's so funny when Conan was like, there was a word you did early on and Maya did, like said that word immediately and I was like that I, I thought that was the word she was going to say when she says I forget in what context but she's talking about a bubble bath in season one and it's just like bubble bath <laughs> I can't do I can't do the impression Conan tries he's like I can't do it either but 
just it's worth listening to if you're a fan of Big Mouth and love the hormone monsters just to hear her every once in a while slip in and say some of the words in character. Um, But it was just a really interesting and fun podcast. And they were talking about Prince. She's um, in a cover band called Princess with one other woman. They were in it before Prince died i mean it's been oh, around yeah. for a long time and they're both just sharing like funny prince stories um <laughs> conan was once at this like fundraiser event some big event and um there was a few bands playing now i don't remember what bands they were but there was like rumor that prince was going to be like guest like guest spot like get up there and play along with someone okay and Conan is hosting the event. He's backstage as someone's performing. I forgot. Oh, it was, um, I think it was, uh, Stevie wonder. Uh, cause it okay. was, it, it was superstitious or yeah. Very superstitious. That song, very, yeah, yeah, yeah. Y- you know, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, and Stevie wonder is out there playing that and Conan's backstage and Prince is next to him. And he's like, Oh my God. Like, you know, people are saying that you're going to perform like I get like, it must be happening. You're back here. And he's like, Oh no, not here. Not here to play. Just, you know, want to just here to support, you know? And then like Conan is like, Oh, okay. Like surprise. People said that. And then like, he said that Prince was basically answering, like saying, no, not here to do that. As someone walked over, put a guitar over him and he walked out (laughs) and started playing. (laughs) Just like, Prince is such an enigma. Like he's everyone that like knew him has these crazy Prince stories where he's just being like so aloof and mysterious. And he's so he's just I feel like, like he would no not, like, no not I'm not going playing out. as he takes a guitar and puts it on. Like yeah no I'm just sort of stopping in like to support and then walks out on stage and he's like exactly. I don't know I just I don't really want to steal the show as he's like starting a solo like so you know I'm just gonna exactly. drop in to like say hi get out yeah. and he finishes his story as he puts a guitar away and leaves. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, it was so to hear Conan tell the story. It was really, really funny. So this is just another one of my usual plugs for the Conan O'Brien podcast, because I just I love him and I love my Rudolph so much. It cannot get plugged enough. It cannot get plugged enough. Um, well, with that, I'm going to give a little plug to us. Sit up and listen on Instagram. That is S-I-H-T-I-P and listen. You can also send us an email to sit up and listen at strawhutmedia.com or just sit up at strawhutmedia.com. We are produced by Ryan Tillotson, edited by Sebastian Alcala, and part of Straw Hut Media. And we'll be back in your feeds, hopefully next week. (laughs) Hopefully next week. (laughs) From the road. (laughs) 